salvation. Last week we saw that this book and this life is all about Jesus. The grace that God gives to us is because of Jesus and his work on the cross for us. It's nothing that we've done. We haven't earned it. We didn't work for it. He does it because he loves us. The question I asked us last week was to go home and to pray and to ask God, what are we doing not so well? Because you're going to see here in a moment, when we get into the book of Revelation in chapter 2 and 3, God is writing a letter to the seven churches. It's a very difficult letter. Let me ask us a question today. If Jesus were to write Moline Baptist Church in Moline, Michigan, a letter, what do you think he would say to you? Have you ever truly asked yourself that question? What will you say to us as a church, as a people? What would you say we're doing well and what would you say we need to work on? Because no church is perfect. In fact, Charles Spurgeon so rightly said that if you find a perfect church, don't join it. Because once you join it, it becomes imperfect. And that's just true. There are no perfect churches. But what are we doing to love Jesus well and love others well? And I want you to listen very carefully to the words that Christ says to the churches and see where you might see or think we're doing well and what we're missing the mark in. It's going to be different for each person. You might see something in these letters and say to yourself, well, we're doing this good, we're doing that bad. But truly ask yourself that question. Because the biggest room in the world is room for improvement, as my coach used to say when I was younger. The biggest room in the world is room for improvement. And I have my thoughts on what we're doing well, and I'm going to share with you those things at the end of the sermon. I think what we're doing well, and as a guy who got my degree in coaching at Michigan State, I'm going to use what's called a Big Mac attack. Does anyone know what a Big Mac attack is? Besides my children, because I use it on them all the time. The Big Mac attack is I'm going to give you the buns, I'm going to give you the meat of correction, and then I'm going to give you the buns. Closing with something of praise. I'm going to tell you all about what we're doing well, what we need to work on, and then what we need to really understand about ourselves that's a little bit good about ourselves. It's called a Big Mac attack because it's a way for a coach to motivate a kid. Because most of the time, I don't know about you guys, but as a boss, I remember having to just give the meat to somebody. This is what you're failing at. And that just discouraged me. But if I can tell you what we're doing well and what I feel like God is doing well and what we're doing well for Him, and then we get to see what we need to correct, or work on and try and get better at because we're never going to hit perfection. But if we work towards perfection, we will come across excellence. And then we will work towards that together as a church and as a people. But I do want to remind us as a local church what we are called to do. As a local body of believers of Jesus Christ and followers of Jesus Christ, we actually have commands that God calls us to do. He says this, Love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. That's Mark chapter 12, verse 30 through 31. Do we do that well? Ask yourself that question. Here's another thing we're supposed to do. We're supposed to serve each other, not to be served. Many walk into a church and they say, Hey, what do you have for me? What programs do you got? What kind of ministries are you doing? What are you going to do for me? That's not what Christ did. 
Christ walked into a church and said, I came to serve, not to be served. And we need to do that for each other. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Here's another thing that I think people need to do. We need to bear each other's burdens. Galatians 6, 2. Each one of you has your own load. And I get that. It may be different than my load, but if I can come alongside you and help you and bear that load with you, that's what we're called to do as a church. And we do that well. The next thing is, that I think is probably one of the most important things as just human beings, but as followers of Jesus Christ, it comes from Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. We need to consider others more important than ourselves. We can't just worry about our agenda. We've got to not be conceited, to not be all about ourselves, and we need to consider others more important than ourselves. Do we do that well, church? One of the toughest things in all of life is to consider others more important than ourselves. We don't see that as an example in the world today. In Hollywood, politicians, in work. It's all about me, me, me. What's in it for me? And that's the world we're living in today. So what's in it for you? How can I love you well? How can I care for you? That doesn't mean I give you everything you want. That's unloving. How many of you have had children before? And if your kid came to you every time and said, Mom, Dad, I want this candy bar. How many of you went, sure, no problem, I'll get it for you. Yeah, I'll split it with you. Or how many of you said, no, you're going to spoil your dinner. Kids, how many times have you heard that? Yeah. And then you see Dad eating that candy bar before dinner. It's okay. I know I'm a hypocrite. You can't do as I say, not as I do. There's more that I wanted to remind us all, and including myself, that we're called to do as we assess what this church does well and what it needs work on. So without further ado, let's get into the scriptures together and see what Christ is telling us. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the good versus the bad. That's kind of how I titled this one, the good versus the bad. And here it goes. I want you guys to see something. Hopefully you can see it. If you can't, let's just think because, but... The island of Patmos is right here, okay? And that's where he's writing this from. And then you're going to see the seven churches. Here's Ephesus. Is there any way to make this clearer? No, I just picked a really bad slide. Sorry, Jeff. Love you. But Ephesus is here. Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, uh, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. So the book kind of goes up here and then down there. It goes up and then down. And I keep pointing it out. But here's the first one we're going to be looking at, is the church in Ephesus. So the church in Ephesus is, Ephesus was a huge place. So I kind of want to remind you of what Ephesus was. It was a huge place for the Romans. In fact, it's where we find the worship of Artemis or Diana. It's the worship of the fertility or childbirth. In fact, she's the daughter of Zeus and Leto in Greek mythology. And they would worship her there. In fact, they also, she, they talk about her being the twin sister of Apollo, the god of healing and prophecy. And so false teachers would be there and they would teach about these people. Sex and the healing. How interesting. 
sex and then healing. Intriguing kind of combination. It's the home of Paul, Timothy, Titus, and later John. And so we're seeing that. Did it go away? Are you finding a better one? John is writing us this letter, and it's about this church in Ephesus. So if you want, you can open up your Bibles and read along with me. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Verse 2, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. Again, this is Jesus writing it to the church. And you have not grown weary. That's amazing. It's amazing to think about what the church is being done. In fact, if you were to look at this letter that Paul sends to the Ephesians, you'd see he very much has told them to call out false teachers. If you go look at the people who oversee these, Timothy and Titus, and look at their letters and see what they're being told to do, and then you look at Ephesians, they're calling out false teachers. They're very much saying, this is not really God worship. This isn't worshiping the God of the Bible, and you need to call these people out. And they were doing it. They were boldly holding on to that truth, and they were not growing weary because the society was telling them, don't say that. That's not Christ-like. Don't judge other people. You see, it says in Matthew chapter 7, don't judge, lest you be judged. What? What? You just took what Jesus said out of context. Because he actually tells us to judge, but how we rightly judge. You see, we are called to judge. My favorite thing is when people tell me, Pastor, you shouldn't judge. You're wrong for judging. And I'll look at it and go, well, why are you judging me for judging? Aren't you wrong for judging me for judging? You see the hypocrisy in your own statement? That's the sad part we have in this world today. Is they very much told them, he very much told them, Paul and now Jesus, to call out false teachers. And they knew that well. But Christ even said this to them in the letter. Something that you don't do well that you're not skilled in. He says this, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Verse 6 Yet this you have you hate the works of the Nicolaitans them in a minute, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the church, or the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is paradise. Wow. Stop reaching out and sharing. This is quite amazing. How is it that you love them? They abandoned the love of Christ and they sure didn't love you. Chapter 1, 2, and 3, you're going to find that they did this well in the beginning. They loved Jesus. 
Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they served each other well. Paul talks about it so much in in the letters to the churches in Ephesus. He talks about it in chapter 22 and 3. They did a great job. But here's the thing. They stood up for false teachers. Nicolaitans, in case you didn't know this, Nicolaitan comes from Acts chapter 1, verse 6. It's actually a guy who was there, a disciple, who saw Jesus... Nicholas, and he actually breaks off and starts teaching false stuff. It's kind of scary how much Nicholas taught about health and wealth and prosperity. Nothing new under the sun. See, the Word of Faith movement actually started with Nicholas. I was reading up on this and I was studying about Nicolaitans. Very interesting what they would do. Health and wealth and prosperity was their big thing. I wonder why health and wealth and prosperity was their thing. Where were they actually involved in things? Hmm. A place that taught about sex, drugs, and rock and roll was a place that was all about healing. Apollos, Artemis, Diana. Interesting stuff that's put together. But here's the thing. This is the first generation of the church of Ephesus, chapters 1, 2, and 3. It's the first generation. In Revelation, we're now dealing with the second generation. So your kids and their kids. So this is what's very interesting. Ask yourself this question. Let me get this saying. Is this true?
sometimes create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. And weak men create tough times. It's a cycle. Here's the reality of how you break that cycle. church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. They experienced a lot of persecution in the Roman world and all the diocletians. And that church got beat up. They were tempted. They thought they were
writes to that church and he says this, the church at Pergamum, which is the capital city, by the way, of the Roman province of Asia. Pergamum becomes the capital city for a long time and then shifts. But understand something, it had a great library of antiquity. It's an amazing city. Amazing city. And it's a place, are you ready for this, where parchment was first used. Think about that. Parchment was first used there. And it wasn't parchment paper so you could put it in your oven. It was parchment was first used in this place. He says this in verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name and do not deny my faith, even in the days of Anipus, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam and who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Health, wealth, and prosperity. Verse 16. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone and with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. in Thyatira is a city that had numerous trade guilds. In fact, it had many wool and many dyeing of wool industries. So if you wanted, Kathy, if you're looking for some good materials, go there. They'll have it for you. Different colors and everything. Amazing place. We, we know about this because of Acts chapter 16, verse 14. It talks about 
of this church. It says this in verse 18, Revelation, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Verse 19, I know your works, your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed your first. But I have this against you. Verse 20, you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent. But she refuses to repent her sexual immorality. Let me say this one again. Listen carefully what Jesus says. I gave her time to repent. But she refused to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am who searches the mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you at Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who do not, who have not learned what some call deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any burden. Verse 25. Only hold fast what you indeed have come until I have come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod, a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken into pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him morning, I'll give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'm going to say this again, and it's not thinking gender is neutral or fluid. It's not. It's not thinking homosexuality is okay in God's eyes. It's not. It might be okay in our eyes. We might want to love these people, and I say we should. If you're a sinner, God loves you. Here's the truth of it. God loves you. But he's so loving, he's not going to keep you the same way that you were born or thought you were born. He's going to change you into his son, into the likeness of his son. Does that mean I hate you? Absolutely not. I will do anything for you. I will care for you. I will love you. I will pay money for you if you need it, if I have it. And if I don't, I'll try and find places that can, because there are ministries that have things that I don't have. I literally just had someone come in, uh, come into my office. It was really actually kind of exciting. Judy and I were hanging out, and we get a call, and this guy's like, I really need some help. And he calls me up, and he says, I want to talk with you. I need some help. And so he sits in my office for an hour and tells me all about the things that are going on. And I'm like, man, that's great. How can I help you? And he's like, I need money. check for 2400 bucks. You go cash it in your bank account, and I'll give you half of it. And I went, I've seen, that, I've seen that too many times, but I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. You picked the wrong church. We don't have, like, tons and tons of money. Is there something like, can I give you some gas money? Can I help you with that? He's like, no, no, no. i got to go all the way back down to Arkansas. I'm sorry. I wish I could give you, but if it, is there anything else I can do for you? Nope. 
so it's hard for me. It's hard because we've got to stop thinking that we have everything under control, that we can take care of all things, take care of all things for people. But here's the big thing. Stop thinking that sex outside of marriage is okay. It's not. It's going to cause you problems. How many of us remember the movies that were made way back when? shops were actually located for rich travelers to go. So it was just down the street on 84th. But around the world, all over the world, travelers would come and they'd go to that city to find all kinds of different idols. And they would look for the gold and silver there. It says this in chapter 3, verse 1, To the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your works. about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I have come against you. Yet, you have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments. They walk with me in white, for they are in white garments, and I will never blot out his name of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What's interestingly enough is there's no spiritual life in this church and there's no power. None whatsoever. They needed to wake up. They cared more about money. They cared more about what they were doing, what they looked like, what kind of clothing they
say this, just because you go to church does not make you a follower of Christ. We need to wake up. They need to wake up. Just because it's the cool place to go, you see what that great church did? See what they're doing? Yeah, God must be blessing them. is the church in Philadelphia, Philae meaning love and Delphia meaning brotherly. It's the city of brotherly love. I don't know how many of you have been to Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. I did feel people up there, but I did eat one of the greatest cheesesteak sandwiches. Really good. In fact, they actually fight each other. They, they're right across the street from each other. It's like, which one do you go to? You don't know. It's like going to New York and trying to find out what's best in Johnny's Pizza. Jimmy's Pizzas. What do you think of Jimmy John's? He says this, it's, it's actually the city of brotherly love, it's the city of Dionysus, the god of wine. Verse 7, the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open. I know your works, verse 8. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and you have kept my word and have have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of the trial that is coming on the whole earth to those, or to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. Verse 12, the one who conquers, I will give him or make him a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write his name of my God in the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven, from my God out of heaven, and my new own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'm not going to harp on this, but I'm going to explain something important here. I want you guys to see this statement. It's teroso ek tesmores in Greek. I will keep you from the hour. Ek in Greek means keep or guard. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Proverbs 21, 23. Now here, let me help you out with something. Guarding your mouth and your tongue is not means of protecting yourself in the times of troubles. Rather, it's the means of escaping trouble you're not presently in. So in the Septuagint, act indicates an external, not internal, preservation. Act is also used in the same way as external preservation in Joshua 2 and in the Psalms. Likewise, in the New Testament, act clearly has the same meaning. So in James 5.20, we're told that if a sinning Christian can be turned away from his backslidden state, he will be saved from physical death. There's no way act could mean he will be protected in the midst of physical death and then emerge from
from it like some kind of resurrection. So understand, he's going to escape premature death by being exempt from it. That's what it means. And so here, the promise of Revelation 3.10 not only guarantees that we're kept from the trials of the tribulation period, but being kept from the time period. So the promise is not, I'm going to keep you from the trials. It is, I will also keep you from the hour of your trial. Most tribulationalists have to resort to finding means to undercut the stress and reserve hour in order to make this make sense to them. Well, it doesn't really mean hour. It means kind of like time. No, it doesn't. Start reading the Greek. By insisting that hour means that, means the experience of the time period, not just the time itself. I will keep you from the hour of testing, not just from any persecution, but the that that is coming that's going to affect the whole earth. And the only way to escape worldwide trouble is to not be on the earth. Free trip, sorry. Thing needed to be said. Here's the last church, Laodicea. Laodicea is right there. this, verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, verse 15, you are neither cold nor hot. Which is you? You are neither cold nor hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, pitiable, excuse me, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so much that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and the slave will anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be jealous and repent. Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's the crazy thing, guys. I'm going to spit you out, literally vomit you. This church was lukewarm and neutral and so repulsive to Christ, so damaging to the purpose of His ways and His will that He vomits them out of His mouth. This church is so wrapped up in material things that it didn't recognize its true condition. So we need to be careful because He stands at the door and knocks. You know the church? They know you better. Let me ask you the next question. What about me? I'd let you know where we stand in my humble opinion, so here goes. This is hard for me to say, but I truly, after six years of being a pastor, praying, asking God, I think we do something really, really well. I truly have been blessed by this church in many different ways. To see you guys loving each other well and loving the community well has been an amazing gift that God has given me. so large. 
stuff and leave it where it was and bring it to us so we couldn't travel all the things today. But I'm telling you right now, we do some things that are so amazing. We teach and we preach the gospel to each other. We are trying to love each other well. I love the way that we say worship. I love this kind of worship. I know that there are churches out there that are like, oh, we have to have this kind of worship and that kind of worship. And actually, when we walk, when I walk in here, I love pews. I've seen churches now that are like, get rid of your pews and put in chairs because that's going to bring young people. If your young people are showing up because you have chairs instead of pews, why are they showing up? Be careful. So we give to each other in need. We take care of each other. It's amazing what this small town does. And I'm very grateful for it. However, we need to wake up. We need to start praying for one another. We don't do that well enough. Now, in all fairness, I'm basing that off of six years of Wednesday night prayer. But I also had one year where I don't know if you all remember this, but I opened up prayer for the whole church every day. And I was here every day, every night when those kids would show up. So maybe you are at home praying. Maybe I'm completely wrong, and I might be. But I'm telling you right now, if we want to have the power of the Holy Spirit move in this church and in this community, we need to be praying. No question. Now, what's your prayer life like? This church needs Jesus in many ways. We need to serve each other well. We need to bear each other's burdens. We need to be careful with each other.
loves you and wants you to be the best of you you can be. But I'm thinking right now, guys, that you're amazing. You've got something going on. The Holy Spirit's moving in this place. And I can feel it because I can't get him to talk to me without sharing with me what's going on. The fact that we had that Valentine's Day party with all the adults and Eric, it, it was amazing to see how much fun we were having, how much fun. I've got to pick on, he's not here right now, so I can make fun of him. Bob, here's Bob. examine himself, and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks the cup without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died, but if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned with the world. So take a moment. Think about a minute. Really just get with God. Ask him. 